Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with legendary improviser, actor and star of Whose Line Is It Anyway, Colin Mockery. You can find out more about me and the projects I'm working on at robertlanemusic.co.uk and it would be amazing if you could subscribe, rate, like, share, review the podcast because doing all of those things helps more people to find it in the future. Okay, here's my conversation with Colin Mockery. Hello, Colin. How are you? I'm fine, Robert. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, we're in week two now of the sort of official lockdown here in the UK. So time doesn't mean anything and our lives aren't what they were and I don't know who I am anymore. But other than that, everything's fine. How are things yeah. for you? Are you in isolation? Uh, yeah, I am now. It's um, actually been good for me. Uh, in a per- I know it's selfish because it's, it's horrific for the rest of the world. <laughs> But uh, before this happening, I was doing two tours and uh, shooting a movie. So it was like a month of no days off and I was getting run down. So um, this was the perfect time for a pandemic for me. (laughs) So I I could relax. You couldn't have planned it better. Yeah. You should have been touring at the moment with Brad. I was touring with Brad. And I also am doing this new tour with a hypnotist where he hypnotizes people and then I improvise with them. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> That's great. So the show's had to be postponed and rescheduled. Yeah, so far nothing's been cancelled. It's all been rescheduled to uh, late summer, fall. So hopefully by that time things will have flattened out and we'll get back to almost normalcy. Yeah, if any of us can remember what that is anymore. But it's really interesting for performers because I've been doing this podcast for a little while, but it's quite a good opportunity to speak to lots of people because they're all at home. Um, but it's that thing coming up that, what are we? So I've certainly felt this a little bit recently. If I'm not out doing shows as a musician and acting and stuff, what am I? And what I am at the moment is my wife is an intensive care nurse, so she's like on the front oh. line and I'm I driving guess. her to and from work. <laughs> and that's my role, which is I'm quite happy with in a lot of ways, to be honest. Yeah. No, that's uh, you're a major part of keeping our world healthy. That's it. Whilst keeping safe myself, that's which is very important to very, That's the important thing. <laughs> um, but no, I know exactly what you mean. It's sort of, I think everyone, not everyone, because a lot of people are very busy, but a certain amount of people have an enforced reflect, reflective time to really think about what it is that they're going to be doing when things are back to normal, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It's interesting because we have never had anything like this in our lifetime. Uh, you know, I'm, although I am older, I didn't go through World War II or any of you know the good wars that were happening. Uh, so it's it's so bizarre to be part of something that has affected the entire world, where um, everyone is going through the same fears, the same hopes. Um, it's really. Uh, I hope it actually brings us together in some way, although I've never been a big believer in humans. Um, it would be nice if somehow we found the common ground that, oh, yeah, we're just all people just trying to survive in this world. 
maybe we should take it easy on each other. Mm. And it's interesting because there's a lot of those comparisons that come up with the with the war, you know, the big one, uh, yeah. <laughs> the one that we, in our culture anyway is is so predominant in things all the time, and it's sort of like 1940 blitz spirit. But the big difference, of course, is the the enemy that we're fighting now. It's not another country. It's a it's an invisible thing that doesn't care about nationalities. And as you say, the whole world is in it together, which I'm not sure that's ever happened in quite the same way, perhaps before. I don't know. No. Uh, no, and, and since we're all connected uh, through social media, uh, you know, the 1918 uh, Spanish flu, uh, I guess, was the closest thing to this. But even then, there wasn't the communication between the countries and between individuals that we have now. Um, I mean, I don't know. Is this the best time uh, to go through a pandemic? Well, I thought about that. It's almost as if things turn up when... we can still contact each other? Yeah, exactly. Things turn up when we're able to deal with them. So, you know, the the idea of not seeing your, your friends and family for a long time is really hard. But if you couldn't... If it was 20 or 30 years ago and you couldn't FaceTime them... Yeah, it would be nothing. It would be even harder. And then, you know, the fact that performers are still able to do creative things. There's a whole lot of musicians at the moment who are doing collaborations still um, remotely. Yeah. Which is really fascinating. And, and I've, I hope that there's going to be some things where it's stuff that people have said is too difficult to do. So a lot of people are working from home now, I guess, in businesses where we've been asking to do that for a while to help save the planet so people don't have to drive and fly everywhere. And it's, oh, no, it's too hard. It wouldn't work in our industry. But all of a sudden they have to make it work. So perhaps there'll be some advantages from that maybe. That's the thing. When you have to make it work, it works. Yeah. And you think, oh, oh, there's no way we can do that. No, there, there's always a way. You find a way. I'm doing a virtual uh, improv show next week, which oh, cool. I'm really fascinated to see how it's going to work. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, where's that happening? Where's that being hosted? Is it? This is uh, in Toronto. Uh, an improv troupe is um, setting up sort of a murder mystery uh, kind of thing. And then through Zoom, everyone's going to be playing different characters. That's all I know. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, Colin, when I was growing up in the 90s, there was this TV show on Channel 4 called Whose Line Is It Anyway? And oh, it yes, looked like yes. the most fun. You've heard of it, I guess, yeah. And it looked like the most fun that anybody could have. Yes, yes. And um, there were these amazing people who just seemed to so clever and do things on the spot. And it kind of inspired me mm-hmm. to want to be involved in that world. And I guess oh, what I yeah. want to ask is, was it as much fun as it looked at the time? It, uh, it's really hard to imagine a better job. Um, we would fly over to London. Um, they would give us lots of money for per diem. We would shoot on the weekend. And that we'd do that for three weeks. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was hard to be. And every year they would call up and say, we have more money for you. It's like, it really sort of skewed my idea of what show business is. Because it's not like that in North America. Uh, But yeah, all those people became really good friends. Um, We still see each other uh, and still have fun after. We had the 30th anniversary and did some shows at Royal Albert Hall uh, a couple of years ago. And it was just, it was just amazing. It's just, I can't believe the show 
it's like the walking dead of a television show <laughs> you can't kill it <laughs> Well, I've read a little bit, actually, and was quite surprised to find that your sort of getting involved with that show wasn't quite as straightforward as we might have thought. Because, again, watching it from home, it just seemed like you were the natural. You and those guys should always meant to be doing that show, but it wasn't an easy... I was going to say an easy entry, but that's not quite the phrase I was after. We'll go with it. It wasn't an easy entry. Oh, that's a good one. It's a good phrase. <laughs> yeah, I was at um, Second City and uh, doing a show there. And the producers, Dan Patterson and Mark Levison, uh, were doing sort of a cross-country audition tour. They saw our show. Uh, they liked everyone in the cast, so they had us audition the next morning at 8, which is not uh, the best time for comedy. No. And also, when you're at Second City, 8 o'clock in the morning is not a time you ever see. Because you do the show, and then you're pumped up after the show, so you know you tend to stay after the show and have a few drinks and full, uh, not full around, but yeah, full around. <laughs> um, so we, we had this audition at eight in the morning and we did, the, because we were auditioning as a cast, we did that thing you're supposed to do. Everybody supported each other. So nobody stood out. So none of us got cast. <laughs> and then next year we'd moved down to LA because my wife, Deb had um, written a, a, a pilot that had, had been bought. So we down there and I got to audition again, but it was with people I didn't know. So it's like, Hey, screw you. Look at me. So there's a lesson for the, the kids out there. <laughs> Don't support Save your scene partner. partner. Get them out yeah. of the way. And then it's a gravy train. <laughs> and, but even then the first show I did, I didn't do very well because I was so, uh, I psyched myself out. I was, um, my first show was with uh, Mike McShane and Tony Slattery and um, Sandy Toxford, and who were all lovely. But, you know, I, I just met them. And so I thought, well, are they going to get my Canadianisms? And will I understand them? And so I, I uh, kind of pulled back and didn't do much. So uh, it wasn't until the next year, they're doing some shows in New York. And Ryan Stiles at that point was part of the cast and we had uh, worked together for years. And he said, you know, uh, give Colin another chance. So uh, because we we're shooting in New York, the British uh, improvisers had the same sort of thing where they were sort of uh -huh. um, a little leery. And so they paired me up with Ryan, who I knew and was comfortable with. And then it just went from there. So I think people listening in would find that really interesting because already by that point you were at you're an experienced improviser. You'd worked already with Second City and Theatre Sports, I think, by that point. Yeah, yeah, that's where I got my start. So, so you had a lot of stage time. Yeah. But it was still possible. I mean, I know it's a different thing, TV in a different country, but do you still find that now? Are there circumstances where it will still be frightening for you, considering that you've spent so much time making stuff up? Oh, yeah, there's many, um, many frightening scenarios, but now I don't care because i just uh, go with it uh like the show with the hypnotist scariest improv i've ever done i'm working with five people who i have never met who are going in and out of a hypnotic state <laughs> we're doing an improv show um but i really come to enjoy the show it uh, keeps me on my toes and got me back to sort of um you know the basics of improvising so 
I, I find fear has become my friend, whereas uh, before it used to be, it could be a real stumbling block for me. So I guess it's a way of using the fear rather than letting yeah. it throw you. No, it's like just attacking it more. It's like they say, you know, bravery isn't um, a lack of fear. It's it, Bravery is going ahead in spite of fear. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, even acknowledging it and just saying, oh, I'll do it anyway. And it's yeah. just some amount of experience, I guess, where if something goes badly, it's not the end of the world, I guess, at, at some point in That's a project. It's not like I'm jumping out of a plane without a parachute. The worst that can happen is an entire audience will boo me. <laughs> I've had that happen. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as you can get out the stage door quicker than they can get out the front, you're generally okay, I guess. That is the secret <laughs> to be an improviser. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, get paid in cash, I guess, is the other one. Although not now with the um, with the coronavirus situation. <laughs> Contactless all the way. Yes. <laughs> and so what are the differences then on working on the UK show and the US show, or just more generally with touring as well? How different are audiences in North America and the UK? There was, uh, the British audiences... Uh, well, I, I, I was going to say more reserved, but I would say more reserved uh, compared to American audiences who woo at anything, really. <laughs> um, and what I loved about the British uh, audiences were the, the scope of the suggestions we get. Oh. Uh, in America, you get a lot of um, you know pop culture uh, references or whatever is maybe going on in the world no matter how inappropriate it would be for a scene and i found in britain we were getting things like uh well i remember once i was doing a show with the comedy store players and they asked for something and they got charles the second application speech which i'd never heard of so obviously they made me charles the second of course because they're cruel that way. But it was um, fine because it really got me thinking. I ended up just doing Martin Luther uh, King's I Had a Dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I like that you get more of a um, – they put a little more thought into the suggestions. Uh, but the TV shows uh, in Britain, there was no censorship whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, uh, in America – Immediate. There was a censor in the booth for every show. Oh, okay. Um, because there wasn't a script they could see. They go, no, no, no. So <laughs> the first season, um, they would actually stop us and say, no, no, you have to make up something else. And then uh, for Drew, who was a real button about um, censorship, he uh, the next 10 minutes would be unusable because he would introduce every uh, game using <laughs> on television. So they finally came up with this thing where we would do the show and then afterwards the producer, Dan, and the censor would fight it out as to what could be kept in. One of the best lines was after a show, uh, Dan walked up and said, Colin, we lost the pussy, but we got two penises. And I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love this business. <laughs> <laughs> you should tour that the pussy and two penises show. I, I should. I may, uh, yeah, for Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. And what about Canadian audiences then? Are they somewhere in between, or are they? Yeah, I mean, because we have a strong uh, British uh, background in Canada. Uh, we, you know, we got Monty Python, 
uh, before America did. We understood Monty Python before America did. Uh, and we've gotten, you know, the best of both worlds. So I think we're more open to different kinds of comedy. And um, they can be sometimes reserved, like the British, but then they can sometimes just go nuts for no reason. So uh, that show, Who Lies, Whose Lines It Anyway, the UK and the US version, as I say, for for my generation was really um influential but as just as an outsider improv disappeared off tv there was a here in the uk there was a few attempts to do stuff that brought it back or we always have the panel shows where there's a bit that's maybe kind of improvised but it does sound an awful lot like it's the stand-ups act to be honest but there could be some element of it um but recently in the last sort of decade or so the live improv seems to have really flourished particularly long form and I would guess that a lot of those performers, be my age or younger, would uh, have also been influenced by Who's Line. I'm just wondering how you reflect on that. Are you seeing people come up now who'll say to you that Who's Line and you guys were part of their education? Yeah, I mean, I'm very, I'm really proud of that legacy. And I, I mean, a lot of improv purists hated the show because a lot of it is. Because of the medium, we had to be jokey. We did. We couldn't spend time really building characters, and we were there to do jokes and get laughs. But I always said, "Whose line was sort of the gateway to improv, it's like your vaudeville improv 101." And from there, that leads into long form. It leads into uh, different kind of styles. I love what people are uh, doing with it. There's so many different types of improv now. You know. A lot of people are doing long-form Shakespearean plays. Um, I'm working with a hypnotist. Not the same. But uh, what I love is there's so many things you can do with this art form. I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And I know that you've done a lot of stuff with uh, up at the Edinburgh Fringe as well. In fact, I saw you with Paul Merton's Impro Chums uh, a, few, nice. a few years ago at a venue in Edinburgh. And I guess that's one of the things that appeals to me about it is you can, in theory, get up with – or maybe you tell me if you can. You can get up with any troop at all and just do something and make something happen. Even people that you've yes. not worked with before. I mean, I guess there's the chance you could be shied, but there's still the opportunity to try it. Yeah, I mean, the theory is you should be able to work with anyone, and I've been really fortunate, and I've been able to work um, with companies all around the world. And yeah, it's it's worked out nicely, you know. You know, when you're working with people like Paul and, you know, Mike McShane and uh, Jim Sweeney and uh, Steve Steen, you're working with great improvisers and great performers. So it's really easy. And I I knew all those guys uh, slightly. So that made it easier. I I did a show in Oslo with uh, an improv troupe there. And they made me do a a scene in Norwegian, which Uh I... Do not speak. No. Uh, but they gave me a couple of lines that I could say throughout the thing. And this scene went gangbusters. I have no idea what it was about. <laughs> I have no idea what I said. I have no idea where it was set. Um, but I thought, oh, this is really cool. I'm working with people in a language I don't understand. And somehow it's still working. So, yeah, I, I love the fact that you can go anywhere and work with people you've just met. And you build up that instant trust and you can have a show. Yeah, it's magical, that isn't it? And you're, uh, the other thing about it is you then create these moments that only that, unless it's on TV, but in a live setting, only that audience has seen. 
And one of the cool things I find about improv is if you then try and explain to somebody who wasn't at the show, was, well, then he came on and he was dancing the polka, but his hair was on fire. The other person will say, right, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's you have to be there, literally. Where you have to be there. Otherwise, you, you won't get it. You're right. You can't um, retell the jokes or because it was for that group of people at that time uh, with that suggestion. So it's kind of sad in a way, just kind of <laughs> lives and then goes away. Yeah, it does. And it, I guess it's if it was a, a, another type of show, you'd get those really good bits and you could use it again because you know it works and you could build on it and work on it. But again, that's kind of not the objective, I guess, with improv. You don't want to keep doing stuff that you know works, perhaps. Yeah. One of the best scenes I ever did and I wish it had been filmed or something. It was uh, at an Irish comedy festival, and there were some uh, Saturday Night Live uh, people there. Uh, Dan Castanella, uh, uh, um, the voice of Homer, um, uh, Irish improvisers. There was like 20 of us. And the last night we had this big show, and it ended with an improvised 20-minute ballet, which was the best <laughs> scene. I've ever been in in my life where everybody was giving and taking. It made sense. It had an, it had this great ending. And, um, I thought, Oh, and now it's gone <laughs> except for the people who saw it that night, the people who were in it. And I couldn't tell you what it was about it that made it special, except it was just, I guess all these people working together and there were so many funny moments in it and not a lot of dialogue. It was mostly physical. With the stuff that has been recorded, are there any of those that you feel are as good as some of the things that happen live, or is this is this an annoying sort of frustration where the best stuff does happen when no one's filming it? Uh, there are sometimes when I'm watching television, whose line comes on, and I'm embarrassed, first of all, by that person. Uh, my wife calls him the other because it's nothing like me. But there's also that thing where you go, oh, I missed that golden opportunity that Ryan gave me, or oh, I missed that. Ah. I think there were maybe three scenes that I've seen on Who's Line that um, I thought would stand up any at any point in time. It's like really funny scenes. Uh, and I'm glad that they were actually filmed. Uh, but I think more magic happens in live uh, live theater uh, than it does in the, the television. Uh, what I love is because it, even though on whose line, I would say 98% of the stuff that we do gets on mistakes and all it's different. There's a different energy live whose line comes really close to capturing it, but it's nothing like a live show and the excitement of getting a suggestion and then immediately running into it and, playing off the other players. Uh, there's been some really magical scenes that I wish, and I wish it had just been recorded for all time. And then I could make some money off it. <laughs> um, and with, with who's line on TV as well, I guess, like you mentioned earlier, it's got to be quite quick. Like d scenes don't tend to last more than a couple of minutes, I guess. Whereas on stage they can. Yeah. You have like two or three minutes to get a scene out. And there are a lot of great improvisers who wouldn't be able to do whose line just because of the format of it where everything has to be really quick and then you're on to the next thing. 
uh, a lot of improvise a lot of great improvisers you know, like to take time and so they should but yeah because of because of the restraints of television everything has to be quick fast and big and you mentioned about your the guy on tv what did you say your wife calls him the other guy yeah the, the other, other guy yeah so do you mean the the persona of colin mockery on that show uh, so how was that persona arrived at did it just happen naturally through doing it it just uh, mostly is through panic uh <laughs> especially in the early days where i was just like I, just doing anything for a laugh and off stage i'm nothing like that at all i'm very quiet i'm, I'm fairly shy so we had neighbors who would um get pissed off at me because they thought i was just really aloof but it was like I, because they said well <laughs> he's not like the guy on television it's like well can you imagine if you were living next door to that guy or married to him? No, it would drive you nuts. So, yeah, it's, um, I find it interesting, though, because, you know, on the show, we're not really playing characters. We're playing sort of exaggerated versions of ourselves. So everybody feels like they know us. It's kind of cool that everyone on the show has their own kind of fan club. I think everybody sort of appeals to a different kind of person. Oh, cool. So what? how do the fans differ then in the different clubs? Uh, well, you know, there's the, the ones who are the shallow ones, I call them, who just go for the good-looking improvisers like Chip Aston or Jeff Davis. Then I think of the more discerning, intelligent ones who are in my fan club. And you got the eggheads for Greg. <laughs> Ryan just has outcasts and people who are shut-ins, uh, mostly prison people. <laughs> Uh, Wayne, a lot of Broadway wannabes. So we all have our different uh, outreach <laughs> programs. But you get the best ones, obviously. That's the important. Obviously, yeah. The most discerning ones. I have a wide mix. And are they, are they the richest? No. Ah, okay. Never can't no, have everything. I, I'm trying to think. Who would my richest fan be? <laughs> no, probably Drew Carey. And he doesn't reject my calls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, then. I don't know how much you could say. Does everyone get on as much as it appears when you're doing those shows as well? Yeah. I mean, a part oh, of it is... Oh, that's a shame. I know. <laughs> I always felt if they ever did a behind-the-scenes, it'd be, oh, look, they're all having fun. <laughs> because we never spent a lot of time with each other. Every season, we'd be like three weekends. So you get in, right. you have a bunch of fun. We go out for a drink afterwards. Um, you know, we're all good friends. We... Uh, I actually have a Zoom uh, thing with Ryan and Wayne later today. Um, yeah, we all we all get along. We were really lucky. It was a really good group. There wasn't anyone that was um, a real dick. So uh, we we lucked out there. Or we never got a chance to see it that they were a dick. Oh, okay. Because sometimes I'm worried if I say something like that, that I'm suddenly like, wait, was it me? Oh, thanks for putting that in there, Robert. <laughs> the tour with the hypnotist, that's Assad, isn't it? Assad Mackey, yep. So I'd be interested to know, because he must improvise all the time when he's doing his shows, and you could argue that what you're doing involves a bit of mind trickery and mind games with people. Yes. God, that's I was yeah. near, near a good question there, wasn't I? That's no, skirting was, around no, an interesting was, question. The reason it happened was uh, Assad was taking improv classes at Second City. 
And he realized that what the instructors were asking the students to do were what he sort of does as a hypnotist, that get people out of their head and not just to go with their first thought. So he, when he contacted me about it, I thought, there's no way this will work, but sure, let's try it. And it's it's been fascinating just seeing people um, become pure improvisers, just accepting everything I say, going along with it. There's one scene I do where I sing a duet with them. And Asad says, you are the most confident singer in the world. And <laughs> to be fair, sometimes they are not. But they are so committed, and it's so much fun. Um, yeah, it's been fascinating. Some of our – we had this uh, – she was an 80-year-old stroke survivor, and she was the star of our show. It was. It's just been amazing uh, unlocking people's hidden talents. And these are like general – literally general members of the public, so not performers necessarily – We've had, there's a guy who worked in the Mayo Clinic, one woman worked in a nuclear lab. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fascinating. And it's been great because we've taken two art forms people don't really believe in and put them together so you don't waste that much time. Um, are improvisers a bad audience to work to generally then, or not as good as the public? Sherwood, Ryan and I did a show, I think it was before, it was before the American Who's Line, uh, in L.A., and we did an improv show and didn't realize till afterwards everyone in the audience was an improviser. Worst show I've ever been a part of. And what I loved about the three of us, we kept going for way longer than we should have. We should have just cut it and then, but we went an extra 20 minutes. So we not only had no laughs, but we had the pure hatred coming from the audience. Uh, and once the show was over, we left, went out the back door, went into our cars, and then didn't see each other for two weeks. <laughs> so you, you take it seriously, though. That's the important thing. Because they're hard to get past shows like that, aren't they? It is sometimes, yes. It, it's certainly easier now. You know, once you've done it a lot, you kind of go, well, you know, uh, the same way um, it's too bad that the great scenes that you do are only remembered by that audience. It's also great that the crap that you do <laughs> are only known by that audience, and hopefully they won't speak to anyone else. <laughs> it's it's very um, reliant on context, I find as well. Improv. So I've been with a couple of improv groups and stuff, and the idea of doing something in a a full on stand up club has always made us a little bit like ah, not sure about that one. And yeah. then it, it's not quite a theatre show either, but there's some hybrid thing where it works beautifully. Yeah. The worst yeah. I was involved with was this little improv group, and we did shows in a coffee house for, for families, which was great fun because you had to be clean. You couldn't swear or do any of the naughty bits, which was a great uh, discipline, actually. But we got invited to do a Christmas party in a restaurant. Terrible sound. They said, here's your mic. It's like, well, we can't use a mic. There's four people all talking at the same time. And everyone, obviously, at the Christmas do was completely pissed. And it was a nightmare. But it was that same thing of like, well, we've got to do a show. And it actually becomes even funnier for us <laughs> how oh, much yeah. it isn't working. Oh, yeah. We did, a, we did a show in Hawaii. It was a corporate show, so they were forced to watch us. And it was Greg Proops, uh, Brad Sherwood, Chip Eston, and I. And 
the biggest laughs we were getting were from knowing we were up next. It was just uh, so much fun. Audience didn't find us even remotely funny. Good times. <laughs> and when you've done projects that aren't improvised, mm-hmm. so you mentioned, I think, earlier that you were work- had been working on a film. Was that something scripted? It is scripted, yeah. And last year I did, uh, I was in a production of King Lear with uh, – Stratford actors and me, which was oh fantastic! Great, uh, I got to play the fool, and I learned so much. Um, but the, yeah, that was fascinating. Uh, just the difference in the two art forms, like the difference between working with a bunch of actors, working with improvisers. The actors really like to talk a lot. Like every rehearsal would start with people talking about what the motivation was going to be and all that improvisers we rarely talk we just do it so it was an interesting sort of mindset to get into and of course working with people these fantastic shakespeare actors um it really uh it just ups your game it just makes you get really focused on okay i do not want to be the weak link here although obviously i'm going to be but maybe I can fool enough people. <laughs> but would you be tempted then in the shows to to react to something that happened in the audience? Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, um, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I would. I improvised during the uh, rehearsal period. Yeah. Not so much with the lines, but with more the intent of the lines and Mm. finding different ways to do it and coming up with, I did a thing with an egg, which I'm pretty sure that never happened in King Lear before uh, where the fool um, does a whole thing with an egg, but they liked it. I think that's one of the the classic reviews of King Lear and a lot of Shakespeare's work. It requires more eggs. Why isn't there an egg in this? Part of the focus with this is the creative side of it. And I just wonder how, being an experienced improviser plays into creating other stuff um, or just sort of in in day-to-day life as well. I mean, for me, one of these things has been whatever happens, it can't go that wrong. Or if it goes very wrong, you can cope. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything that happens in an improv scene is something you can use to either keep the scene going or restart it in some way. Um, it's so rare that it just, well, not rare, but there are times where you just get to a point where, okay, let's stop this now and go somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, usually there's nothing that's so bad that you can't salvage at least a little part of it. And everything is a, a, an offer, whether at that moment you may not, you may think this is the, okay, this is the stupidest thing I ever heard, but I'm accepting it and we're going with it. See what happens. And that's when the magic happens. Mm. Great. At this point, Colin, I normally ask people what they've got coming up that we can check out and go and watch. But of course, in the current situation, things are a little bit unusual. Yes, I'm going to be visiting the kitchen later. Oh, and then cool. Maybe the bathroom. Yeah. You always get quite a good reception there, I believe. Oh, they love me there. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's the, the online improv show, which you say was going to be, where was, was it Facebook, did you say, or was it somewhere else that that was going to be hosted? It's going to be Zoom. Okay. Uh, so I'll probably tweet that out once I have information. Um, 
And I'm sure there's other things uh, coming up. People are uh, figuring out ways to, you know, still do this. So we'll see what happens. Great stuff. Um, I did see your kind of public information tweet the other day as well, encouraging people to stay home. Yes. Um, what was the line? You said something along the lines of people have been staying away from my shows in cities all over the world. Oh, yeah. Every city I've gone, people have stayed home in droves. So who better to say? <laughs> Great. Okay, Colin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. That's been wonderful. Um, oh, thanks, Robert. Yeah, it's really cool. And um, I hope that when things are a bit more back to normal to come and see your show. Have you got tour dates in the UK lined up? I think next year. Uh, we have uh, possible the uh, hypnotism show is coming over. So uh, I think they're looking maybe spring. So we'll see. Okay. Hopefully by then things should be fine. Yep. It's going to be a, a bit of a long haul, I think, but hopefully we can look back at from the other side of it and think how, how quaint it all seemed maybe. Yes. So we'll, laugh. we'll laugh together. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, okay. Carly, thank you so much. Thank you. Wash your hands. Okay, will do. <laughs> See you soon, Thanks, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, till next time, goodbye. <laughs>